everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a great episode for you today. I'm going to start with a question. How do you sleep? Do you sleep well? Do you sleep enough? Do you have a little bit of disordered sleep? Do you have trouble getting to sleep and then you stress out about not sleeping? Sleep is one of the most important health hacks. It is so important for our brain and for our health. And for so many of us, it can be elusive especially during times of stress. That's why I'm so glad that today I have Dr. Michael Bruce joining me. He's a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He is called the sleep doctor and was one of the youngest people to have passed the board at 31 with a specialty in sleep disorders. He is on the clinical advisory board of the Dr. Oz Show and regularly appears on the show. You'll love this chat with him. He tells you what good sleep is. We talk about sleep hygiene. We talk about the latte nap, how much sleep you actually need, sleep for new moms. There's a lot of ground we cover today, and he is definitely an expert on this topic. You can check out more about Dr. Bruce at thesleepdoctor.com. Before we dive in, something that I recommend to a lot of guests on the show who come on for coaching with me is to reach out to their own counselor. You know, there's only so much I can do with someone on a show. And if I feel like working one-on-one with someone would be beneficial, I recommend it. I'm a big fan of having your own counselor, therapist, or coach, which is why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and much more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient. You can get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule a secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's truly affordable, especially for my podcast viewers. You get 10% off your first month with discount code over it. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash over it. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, betterhelp.com slash over it. And now on to my talk with Dr. Michael Bruce. Dr. Bruce, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I met you at an event in Los Angeles where you gave a mini TED Talk-esque talk on, <laughs> on sleep, and you were a very, very popular speaker, and there were about a gazillion hands that went in the air and a long line to talk to you afterwards. So why do you think, I mean, of course, you're incredibly engaging and entertaining and informative, yeah. so that there's that part of it, but also this topic of sleep seems to be a very popular topic with people and they have a lot of questions. Why do you think sleep has become such a hot issue lately? Well, to be very honest with you, you know, my wife has said this many times, I wouldn't be nearly as popular if I was a cardiologist, right? (laughs) So at the end of it all, first of all, it's, it's rare for most people to actually meet or have a conversation with the sleep specialist. Number one, there's just not that many of us out there. Uh, There's certainly not that many that have been in practice, as long as I have, I feel kind of like the dinosaur some days. But um, I think that sleep's a mystery, right? I mean, 
I do, I am an expert in an area that is second only to breathing and water, right? So, you know, when you think about all the different aspects of how sleep can affect your performance, how it can affect your life, how can it, how it can affect every aspect of who you are, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual, it becomes a critical factor. And I think people are, for lack of a better way of saying it, waking up to sleep nowadays. They're just, they're finally starting to say to themselves, okay, what can I do to make myself better? And, um, you know, sleep is healing. Okay. That's, that's what sleep is. Sleep is healing. And the more people understand that, the less they want to cheat themselves of sleep and, but rather be able to optimize their sleep and to get better quality sleep. So I think that's really what people are finally starting to recognize is, you know, sleep affects weight loss, sleep affects depression, sleep affects anxiety, uh, sleep affects every disease state. Like there's nothing that sleep doesn't affect. And I think, you know, people are finally starting to see, Hey, there's a factor that I can do something about and give myself a better life. Mm -hmm. Why is sleep so important? Because I know that for many people, they think it, it, it's okay to be tired. Like it's more important to be productive and it, it's okay to be tired. I can catch, I can sleep when I'm in bed. I can catch up yeah. on the sleep on the weekends, but we're finding more and more that's not true. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, there's a mechanism in our brains that actually continues to tell us that we're okay, the, no matter how sleep deprived we get. And then we hit this wall um, where our brain is like, okay, I'm done faking it. And then all of a sudden we're just done. You know, we're, we're not coherent where we don't, you know, make decisions well, and we're just kind of on like that autopilot. And I think that really has to happen sometimes before people can actually even realize that they're sleep deprived because people all the time, they turn to me and they're like, Michael, I've got four kids, two of them in private school, two of them are young. You know, of course I'm exhausted. I work three jobs and, you know, all my wife does is complain. And, you know, I turn to them and I say, that's actually not necessary. Like every single thing that you just said to me can actually be helped with better sleep. Number one, you'll probably get along better with your partner. Number two, you'll probably make more money. Number three, you'll probably be a whole lot happier. So why don't we sit down and look at your goals, see how does sleep affect those goals, and let's see if we can help you reach them. What are the most common things that people come to you with as a, as a sleep doctor? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, there's there are different kinds of sleep doctors, believe it or not. 90% of sleep doctors out there treat apnea, and that's pretty much what they treat. So apnea is a situation where people stop breathing at night. Generally speaking, we like our patients to breathe. We want them to stay breathing anyway. And, uh, you know, it's hard because that's a reimbursable, easy to diagnose, easy to treat situation. Uh, next is restless legs, narcolepsy, things like that. Insomnia uh, is something that most sleep specialists hate dealing with. In fact, um, there's an entire division of behavioral sleep specialists, people who are psychologists like myself who have been specially trained just to treat the behavioral aspects of insomnia. Quite frankly, it's hard. The work is hard. Uh, the people are difficult. They're desperate. Um, and by the way, they can walk into any drugstore and for 20 bucks buy an over-the-counter sleep aid that they'll become addicted to, may give them Alzheimer's later, but it will put them to sleep that night. And quite frankly, that's what they're looking for. So you know, when you talk to, when you meet sleep specialists and you try to start to understand the types of patients that show up, um, most of the time, those people are treating apneic. Uh, my practice is extremely different. I don't, uh, I've treated apneics my whole career. I'll continue 
continue to do so on some level. But really, I focus more in on, on people with insomnia, people who are having a big struggle, who are trying to understand what's going on and, uh, and trying to fix their sleep. I also do a lot of non-diagnostic work. So I believe that there are things called sleep disorders, like apnea, narcolepsy, in some cases, insomnia. But I also believe that there's something called disordered sleep. So I go to bed, I sleep for six, seven, eight hours, I wake up and I feel like crap. Why and how do I fix that? That's really been my main focus um, for a long time. And um, and that's what I that's really what I've I've dedicated my career, my research, my books, things like that to now. To be very honest with you, I don't see a whole lot of patients anymore. I really focus in on trying to get my message out to large numbers of consumers to for them to realize that they can take take control of their sleep uh, and they can do it in a very positive uh, and uh, and helpful way. So let's let's back up. Let's talk about insomnia first. Sure. From your point of view, what are the causes of insomnia? Seventy five percent of in- insomnia is caused by either anxiety or depression, and it's more anxiety than it is depression by far. Um, there are multiple. One thing that people don't necessarily think about is it turns out there's like eight or ten different types of insomnia. There's I can't fall asleep, I can't stay asleep, I wake up too early, insomnia associated with pain, associated with anxiety, associated with depression. I mean, honestly, the list could go on and on and on. Um, And so the first thing that has to be done is identifying what is the root cause or causes of your insomnia. The other 25% has to do with environment and medication. So environment being what's going on in your bedroom, what have you ingested in your body, and how is that affecting your sleep? Medication-wise, there are a ton of medications out there, OTC, over-the-counter, as well as prescriptions that have a side effect of insomnia. So in many cases where we're, the first thing I look at is their medication list, then I start to look at their medical chart, uh, make sure that they don't have a medical disorder like hyperthyroidism, which looks like insomnia but really isn't. Um, and then once we can clear all of that out, then we can kind of start to get to the root of it. And by the way, the most popular symptom I hear is, Dr. Bruce, I can't turn off my brain at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a lot of that is um, lifestyle. A lot of that is choices mm-hmm. people are making during the day. Um, I wanted right. to back up to one thing you said, because I can hear, I, I always hear my listeners' questions in, <laughs> before these things even air. And mm-hmm. one of the questions they're going to have is, what over-the-counter medications and prescription medications are likely to cause insomnia? Oh, likely to cause insomnia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the side effect profiles are different for different medications. And of course, side effects, just because it's listed as a side effect doesn't necessarily mean that people will get it. But as an example, um, there's a very popular antidepressant called Wellbutrin. Um, it's incredibly stimulating, so stimulating, in fact, that um, I used it to, well, actually, a colleague of mine used it to treat somebody with narcolepsy. Right. So normally with narcolepsy, we give these people stimulants like Ritalin and Adderall and Provigil and things like that. Uh, this physician used just Wellbutrin. Now, Wellbutrin might not sound like something that a lot of people are taking, but it's also marketed as Chantix, which is the stop smoking drug. Um, it's a very powerful antidepressant. It's been used for weight and weight loss centers. Like it's a actually quite a popular drug as an example. But, you know, I don't want to harp on any one drug in particular. Other, other than to say, um, you should, before you take a medication, always look at the side effect profiles to know what you might be looking for. And then if it, if it comes to fruition, and unfortunately you have that side effect, speaking with your doctor immediately 
um, is going to be important. Now, in some cases, um, the situation might be one where you have to have that medication. And then unfortunately, on top of it, then you're going to have to have another medication for the sleep. I've seen it happen in many cases. Again, it's not ideal um, because basically now you're taking a medication to thwart the side effects of the medication that's supposed to be helping you. So you, you kind of go down a, a, a unfortunate path there. Um, but again, people just need to think through the idea, talk with their doctor, make sure they know what they're putting in their body and know what the results can be. Okay. So let's talk about this sleep, this disordered sleeping. The, sure. I sleep eight hours, but I wake up and I'm still exhausted. <laughs> why? So it's a multitude of reasons why that can occur. The biggest culprit turns out to usually be caffeine um, or a misaligned sleep schedule. So, you know, when you look at caffeine, most people don't know it. Caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours. Um, and so most people are drinking coffee much later into the day or energy drinks or, um, you know, large amounts of sugar, things like that to give themselves energy uh, throughout the daytime. What's fascinating to me is what they don't ever seem to realize is if they just slept well and had high quality sleep, they wouldn't need those things. Um, they wouldn't necessarily need to have that coffee break at three o'clock in the afternoon during their slump or, or what have you. So, you know, things like caffeine turn out to be a, a massive factor uh, and then scheduling. So many people don't realize that you've got to wake up at the same time every day, Saturday and Sunday. So if you wake up at 6 a.m. during the week, you really should be waking up at the latest at 630. You really don't want to go much more than 30 minutes past your normal wake-up time because then your entire circadian rhythm wants to shift, and then you end up with something we call social jet lag. So stay up late on Friday, sleep in on Saturday. Stay up late on Saturday, sleep in on Sunday. Guess what your body wants to do Sunday night and Monday? You know, wants to stay up late and sleep in, and that's why Mondays suck, generally speaking, for most people. So if I had to pick two big environmental factors, one is the lack of consistency in the wake-up time. You notice I didn't say bedtime, right? I, I get it. If you want to go out on Friday night and go to dinner and a movie and hang out or see friends and you're going to stay up past your bedtime, I'm not the guy to say no. I am the guy to say, I don't care. Wake up at the same time on Sunday morning or on Saturday morning. It, it's going to be important. And don't, you know, if you can avoid taking naps, especially if you're an insomniac, insomniac should never take naps. All it does is it lowers sleep drive and it makes it much more difficult for you to fall asleep. It also will throw off your circadian rhythm again. Your body is meant to sleep at night. That's about it. So, okay. So if I have disordered sleeping, yep. um, I luckily don't. And I, I will say, since getting off caffeine, which is so sad because I love coffee. I, Nobody says you can't still drink coffee. Just drink decaf or try like Four Sigmatic or the mushroom coffee. Yeah, well, I'm I'm dealing with reducing some viral load. So I've got to get off coffee all kinds completely right now, which is it's fine. Like I'm drinking celery juice instead. <laughs> um, but it's it, it I noticed a significant difference with my sleep in terms of oh, yeah. I one, I don't get up to pee as much in the middle of the night, which I used mm -hmm. to do a lot. Um, and two, I, I'm, I get tired. I don't have my afternoon slump. I get tired yeah. at like nine 30, 10 o'clock and, yeah, and I wake up and I'm like, I'm awake and yep. it's, it's made a big difference. Um, so what other things, okay. So that's, it's trying to go to bed relatively at the same time, but definitely getting up early. I've heard that it's actually, and, and you're here to correct me. 
um, that it's not good to wake up to an alarm. You disagree with that. So here's the thing is it's not it's not that it's bad to wake up with an alarm. It's that if you're going to bed at the right time and waking up at the right time for your personal circadian rhythm, you shouldn't need an alarm. I haven't used an alarm in 15 years. Now, granted, if I've got a 4 a.m. light or something like that, you know, a red eye or whatever, which, by the way, I rarely take, then, yeah, I'll use it. I'll use an alarm to help me wake up. But generally speaking, if you dial in your circadian rhythm, you shouldn't need to have an alarm. Now, the other thing I don't like is I hate the snooze button. Um, And I think that might be more what you're referring to. The average snooze button is between seven and nine minutes. Your body actually can't get into a good stage of sleep during that period of time. So you're stuck in light, crappy sleep. And so if you hit the snooze three or four times, you know, you're giving yourself a half an hour of shitty sleep in the morning. Like who needs that? Right. So, you know, I, I ask people again, the more consistent you are, the more your body knows what to do and it becomes more efficient. As an example, I'm a night owl. I don't go to bed before midnight almost ever. It's just not what I do. I wake up usually between 6.10 and probably 6.20 every single morning, whether I like it or not. Now, you'll notice I'm only getting six hours and let's say 20 minutes of sleep. So first of all, eight hours is a myth. Very few people need exactly eight hours. In fact, the math doesn't really work very well. People really, generally speaking, need closer to six, uh, I'm sorry, seven and a half hours. Sleep runs in 90-minute cycles on average. So if you look at the data and number of sleep cycles an individual would have, which would normally be five, five times 90 is 450 minutes, which equals seven and a half hours. And so the math doesn't even work for that, right? So understanding how much sleep you need actually helps you become understand what you need as far as sleep deprivation. So getting back to my point of me going to bed at midnight and getting up at 620, here's what's going on there is my cycle, because I'm so consistent, has actually become more efficient. I don't actually require more sleep. If people are looking for a way to find more hours in their day, be more productive, and still have super high quality sleep, I'm here to tell you, if you can just be consistent, it's going to happen right? It almost happens automatically, whether you want to or not. When I started, I was going to bed at midnight and waking up at 730. Mm. Now I'm waking up at 620. Wow. Okay. And I feel good all day. I don't, I rarely drink caffeine. I mean, I'm just, that's just kind of how my body works. Most people out there can get to that point. Um, again, it's just about consistency. About consistency. So when I saw you speak, you, you did a little hack, like a little calculator in terms of how yes. to figure out your, your sleep times. Can you go through that with of everybody? Course. Absolutely. So for people who might not be taking notes, this is all um, available on my website. We'll put that in the show notes. It's at thesleepdoctor.com. But um, what we do is since we know that the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes and we know that the average person has five of them, so we know that's seven and a half hours, we take our socially determined wake-up time. So as an example, in this example, let's say that I wake up at 6.30. Then we count backwards seven and a half hours. This means that my bedtime should be roughly 11 o'clock. So most people haven't figured out when to go to bed since they were like 10, right? I mean, you know, who tells you when to go to bed? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can actually calculate it, figure it out, and it can actually be quite helpful. So just doing that simple experiment, run it for a week, see what happens. Go to bed at 11, see what time your body is naturally waking up. You might actually be surprised. I did this experiment, by the way, 
and it eventually failed miserably. And I'll tell you why. Because we learned that my sleep cycle, as I've done this for longer and longer, has become more and more efficient. It's no mm. longer 90 minutes. It's about 81 minutes. Mm. So I actually get five sleep cycles in my six hours and 20 minutes because each of my sleep cycles is a little bit less than the other one. So it's quite interesting. But again, the body craves consistency. And so if you can figure out your times by running this experiment, you will be pleasantly surprised with the rewards on the other side. Yeah, amazing. It makes a massive difference. It really, really does. Because when your body is, it's like, it's, it's with anything. Consistency in self-care <laughs> yields amazing results, whether it's consistency in sleep, consistency in your water intake, consistency in what you eat, consistency yep. in going out and being with your friends. It just, it, it yields amazing results. So on that tone of yielding amazing results, can you please talk about sleep hygiene, the best and the worst things to do for sleep? So I've never been a big fan of the term sleep hygiene because it always makes me think that I'm saying that people aren't clean. Um, <laughs> and so We can call I, it something else. What should we call it instead? I, I don't know. We have to come up with a better name than sleep hygiene. But the basics of sleep hygiene are things like looking at your caffeine intake before bed, looking at your nicotine, look at exercise, look at food intake, all the things that you would do before, during the day and before bed that could, in fact, have an effect on your sleep. You mentioned hydration. Very few people understand the relationship between hydration and sleep. But the fact of the matter is, is a well-hydrated body sleeps better 99% of the time, right? And so, you know, I tell people every day, drink water until your urine is clear and then you're in good shape. You want to stop drinking fluids probably about an hour, hour and a half before bed, if, especially if you have to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom a lot. That can slow you down uh, quite a bit. But remember, if you're diabetic, you may need to be drinking water up until the middle, of, right before you go to bed. It just kind of all depends. Talk with your doctor. But like those are the different aspects of things that you should think about. Of course, the opposite is true for every one of those as well. You know, so if you're drinking caffeine late at night, you should expect to have disrupted sleep. If you're drinking alcohol late at night, yes, you're going to fall asleep. But as I said in my talk, there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out. So, you know, what I try to get people to understand is it's okay to do all of these things. But what you really need to figure out how to do is to do them with sleep in mind. And then you can actually have your cake and eat it too, literally. Yes. Yes, I do notice that. I'm not a big drinker, but if I do have, I can have a glass of wine and be okay. But if I have any more than that, I'm super hot during the night. I'm getting up a lot. I'm restless and I'm just not getting good sleep. And I usually have a headache the next day. And yeah, it should be, could be from the wine, but I think it's also from just not getting good sleep. Um, yeah, so alcohol pulls you out of stage three, four sleep, which is the physically restorative sleep. Half the reason you have a hangover is dehydration. The other half is loss of stage three, four yeah. sleep. So it's not surprising that people feel worse, you know, and let's be honest, most people aren't drinking during the day, you know, they're drinking in the evenings, they're drinking, you know, from happy hour on. And so when we look at those types of situations, that's when we have to start thinking about, hey, how is this going to affect my evening? Because what you do in the early part of the night certainly has an effect later on. Absolutely. I mean, even if you have a tense conversation or you're on your computer screen working till late at night, these are all things that, that are going to impact you 
Um, Absolutely. Can you go over the different kinds of sleep? You mentioned stage three, four. Can you run us through the different kinds of sleep and how much typically we need and get in each stage and about what time of the evening we're getting those? Yeah, absolutely. So sleep runs in cycles. And so we go from wake to stage one to stage two, down into stage three, four, back to stage two and on into REM sleep. We follow those dance moves, if you will, in a very particular order. Um, the order that I just described. The average sleep cycle runs approximately 90 minutes. And as I said before, the average person has five of those sleep cycles. What's fascinating is that stage three, four sleep has a tendency to occur in the front half of the night or is front loaded, if you will. And REM sleep happens in the back half of the night and is back loaded. While stage one sleep is really more of a trans transitory or transitionary uh, stage, getting us from wake to sleep, it doesn't really have much other usefulness for the body. Stage two is, we're starting to learn more and more about it, but generally speaking, it's kind of a filler um, for most sleep. The real sleep that we're looking for is stage three, four, which is your, also called deep or delta sleep. This is our physical restoration. This is our wake up and feel great sleep. Um, we see this sleep is where uh, the largest amount of growth hormone is emitted. And if, you're, if you know anything about anti-aging, Growth hormone is like the holy grail of anti-aging. It's really what people are looking to have and do and all those kinds of things. And so having that sleep becomes imperative to all of those functionalities that growth hormone helps with, whether it's wrinkles, under the eye baggage, uh, dark circles, or muscular repair. If you're a runner or an exerciser, crossfitter, walker, whatever. All of those situations require muscular repair, and that really helps out quite a bit with stage three, four sleep. Generally speaking, roughly 23 to 25% of the night is made up of stage three, four sleep. The other stage that's really important is REM sleep. So it turns out that REM sleep is, is when you move information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. So this is our mentally restorative sleep. So what's interesting about this is, is that, you know, uh, you get a piece of information that comes in during the day and you want to lock it away because maybe you want to use it later, answer a question, you think it's important, whatever. And so your brain then takes this piece of information electronically and it sends it down to a very specific part of the brain for storage. The storage that occurs only occurs during REM sleep. And it's kind of like the information has to find the right filing cabinet, then find the right file drawer, then find the right file. And once it gets there, it can kind of plop down into the file. The problem is, is that it, it connects electrically to the file in front of it and the file behind it. Unfortunately, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of information that are coming in. And sometimes the brain doesn't actually get it always correct. So this is one of the reasons why when you dream, because that's what's happening during um, REM sleep, is this transfer of information is manifested in the front of our brains as a dream. Um, you might walk downstairs and see your dog eating a bowl of spaghetti with your second grade teacher and wonder what the heck is going on. Well, maybe the dog jumped on the bed in the middle of the night. Maybe you had Italian food that night and your second grader was talking about their teacher and it reminded you of your teacher. And that's how all of that ended up manifesting itself in your brain. So, you know, we, we know that dreams do have certain meanings to them, especially repetitive dreams. And that's something that we, we've learned uh, a little bit about. To be honest with you, dream interpretation is really more of an art than it is a science these days. You know, you could be right and I could be right uh, of the same interpretation of the same type of dream. And there's just not a lot of great data to tell us something different. Right, right. You know? Well, I love interpreting dreams. So you can pass on anyone to me and I will interpret their dreams. There you go. <laughs> so 
Napa lattes. I love that hack. We, yeah, it's one of your favorites, huh? <laughs> well, I don't ever do it, actually, but I love the yeah, concept of it. <laughs> you can't do it anymore with your, with your caffeine restrictions, for sure. So my Napa latte technique is something, this is a, one of my favorite techniques. I use it with a tremendous number of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 CEOs. So what you do is you uh, take a six-ounce cup of drip black coffee. You put three or four ice cubes in it just to cool it down real quick, and then you slug it as fast as you can. That's about 110 milligrams of caffeine. Then you close your eyes immediately and you take a nap. The reason this is important is it takes caffeine a while for it to get into your brain. Meanwhile, while you're napping, you're lowering the amount of stage one and two sleep that you need. And in actuality, you're lowering something called adenosine in your brain. And then when you burn through that adenosine, the caffeine is waiting in the wings. It kicks in, stimulates your brain, and you are good for four hours, guaranteed. Mm. It, it's fantastic. I was trying to get my fiance to do that when he came home from Australia. He flew from Perth, so six hours from Perth, yep. then another 15, and then he had to Uber from L.A., and he got here like 11 a.m., but he hadn't slept. And I said, just do a Napa latte now. And, you know, yeah. but, but he, did, he didn't take me up on it. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just fought his way through. <laughs> well, he, he should have taken you up on it. Also, he, he should have used my app called uh, Time Shifter. We created an app specifically for jet lag. Um, if people go to www.timeshifter.com forward slash the sleep doctor, you can get your first two jet lag plans for free. Amazing. So say that again. So it's uh, www.timeshifter.com. Yeah, and it's, it's really a cool, cool uh, app. We, it's all based on science. We, we figured it out with the Mercedes Formula One race car team, and we had it in the space station for NASA. And once we kind of dialed it all in, then we were able to uh, really be able to, to do something interesting with it that people really seem to like. Oh, I'm so, so excited to try it. I'm getting married in Greece. But before that, we're going to Hawaii because I'm teaching a retreat. So I go Hawaii the opposite way, come back to LA for a night and then go to Europe right after wow. that. So um, I will be using this. Any, any, any jet lag tips? I mean, we'll, we'll take advantage of that link. I'll put that in the show notes. But any other jet lag tips? To be honest with you, I use the app. It tells you exactly what to do. Um, so it uses a series of napping, caffeine, light, and melatonin in a very particular order. And you literally don't need anything else but this app. What if you can't, but this is me talking because this is my problem. I'm a terrible yeah. napper. Like if, it's, if I'm on that schedule and it says you need to go to sleep at 4 p.m. on a plane yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. and I can't sleep, what if I just rest with my eyes closed? That's perfectly fine. That'll work. Okay. It's not going to be as good as if you slept, but it'll work. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Sure. Now tell people, cause I know people are going to have a lot more questions. They're going to want to learn more. <laughs> where can of they course. follow you and where can they learn more? Absolutely. So I'm handing out all kinds of fun tips and tricks um, daily on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, it's the sleep doctor. You can hang out at my website, which is the Sign up for my newsletter. I have a newsletter that goes out every week and a blog that goes out every week where we hit new and fascinating topics um, about sleep. At least I think they're fascinating. And I would say most of my, uh, my viewers think they're pretty cool as well. 
Uh, th those are some of the best places that you can find me. And I do a tremendous amount of national media and television. So um, I'll be on the Today Show, Rachel Ray, Dr. Oz, those kind of places. Big time. So cool. Well, this is yeah. definitely, definitely a massive issue. And thank you so much for for coming on today. I'd love you just to leave us with one, one thought, especially with people struggling with sleep. I went through a period last month where I was going through some physical stuff and I just, I didn't sleep well for 11 days and a man was I a mess and I have so much empathy and compassion for, yeah. um, well, actually I have two more questions. So this is the first, they're both, they're both, they're both I think short. Um, so for people that are really struggling with sleep deprivation, insomnia, and just feel, cause my greatest fear was, is this ever going to end? Like, am I right. ever going to sleep again? And, sure. you know, laying there awake at 3 a.m., the brain starts going to all kinds of not so great places. So Absolutely. for somebody in that place, what one reassurance can you give us? And two, what would be the first step? Like one step. So first of all, people got to remember something is sleep is a lot like love. The more you look for it, the less it shows up. <laughs> okay. So first of all, you can't sit there and focus, focus, focus. Oh my God, I'm not sleeping. Oh my God, I'm not sleeping. Oh my God, I'm not sleeping. Because all that does is it causes a level of what we call autonomic arousal, and it makes our bodies not want to sleep. It makes our, it kind of puts our bodies on high alert. So number one thing to do is relax. Nobody's ever actually died from lack of sleep. Although some people may feel like they have died from lack of sleep. The good news is, is that it's actually almost impossible to do so. So number one, relax. I promise at some point in time, you will sleep. Um, number two is you are, you absolutely positively have control of sleep. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that about an hour's worth of rest is worth about 15 minutes of sleep or so from a rejuvenative standpoint. So even if you're not sleeping, but you're lying there, relaxing, hopefully not looking at the clock too much, then what you'll discover is, is that you will eventually drift off to sleep and you should feel significantly better. Um, if all else fails, stop thinking about sleep. And so what, how, do, how on earth do I do that, Michael? Um, there are various distraction techniques that are actually quite popular that can be, uh, that can be very effective. Um, one of my favorites, this is gonna sound crazy, is uh, counting backwards from 300 by threes. Oh, wow. Okay. Right now it sounds like, oh my gosh, nobody said there was going to be math, but here's the truth is what's great about this technique is it's mathematically so complicated. You cannot think of anything else. And it's so doggone boring. You're out like a light. Wow. Okay. Great. Amazing. I love it. So and what about moms, new moms who are up breastfeeding up with oh, their God. kids and are just sleep deprivation? What, what advice do you have for them? So I'm going to be very straight up. New moms, you are screwed. It's just not an easy place to be. The one piece of advice I think I can give most new moms is you need to sleep when your baby sleeps, okay? Don't try to do work. Don't try to clean. Don't try to do any, any chores or any work-related. Go to bed when your baby sleeps because in many, many cases, um, you're so exhausted. You're not going to be able to do anything up to any good level anyway. Okay. So you might as well get the rest that you kind of need um, quickly because that's going to become very important to you um, over the course of time. But so yeah. I would tell that. Also, my favorite book um, for sleep training is called Baby Wise. Baby um, Wise. We, okay. We used it with both of our children and it was absolutely fantastic. So I highly recommend that. That's super helpful. And moms can recover, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I promise. Okay. So sleepdoctor.com. Follow you on Instagram. Stop stressing about sleep. Know there's support out there for you. Any, any final words for us? You know, at the end of the day, I just want people to know and understand that sleep is a great, is a big health issue. And even if you don't get great sleep uh, or you think that you do, um, you can improve it. You can make it better. And it's certainly not an impossibility. Everybody out there can control their sleep. Amazing. Amazing. And I got to the other side of my two weeks of insomnia and I survived. So it's definitely possible. Thank you so much, Dr. Bruce, for being here today. And thank you for the work that you do in the world. Oh, you're super kind. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have an opportunity to speak with your audience. My pleasure. 